Do we really need terrorism legislation to cover serious acts of violence? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Ontario, Canada. You're listening to Quick Hits, short podcasts about national security. Very interesting piece of news came across uh, my internet just a few hours ago. This refers to an attack in Toronto in February of 2020, in which a young man, 17 years old at the time, we'll get back to that in a second, killed a one woman and stabbed another woman and a man outside a establishment called the Crown Spa in the West End of Toronto. Well, what's interesting about this is that when he was arrested, it uh, looked like a murder. Certainly seemed to be intentional. He stabbed one of the women uh, 42 times, one that died. And what's interesting is that the other day, or just a few hours ago, actually, he pleaded guilty in court to murder and attempted murder. At the time of the stabbing, shortly after it took place, the government, this is back in, again, February of 2020, elected to charge him with terrorism. Apparently, this young man, who cannot be named under the Young Offenders Act, sorry, the Youth Criminal Justice Act, as it's called now, he can't be named. He told the court he'd been thinking of carrying out his violent actions for months, and he said that he was an incel or an involuntary celibate. He also stated in a manifesto or some kind of document that he took his inspiration from uh, Alec Manassian, who, of course, was uh, another so-called incel back in 2018 when he drove down Young Street in in Toronto, a very major uh, north-south road, killing 10 people and injuring 16 others. Manassian was found guilty uh, at that time, by the court, of 10 counts of first-degree murder and 16 counts of attempted murder, and will be in jail for a very, very long time. And this young man, again, who can't be named, apparently drew inspiration from the Manassian incident and had a note that said, quote, long live the rebellion of the incels. Now, interestingly, Manassian, when he was found guilty in court, the judge said that, in fact, he was not an incel and that he used the term to gain notoriety for his act. What do we now do with this young man? Well, this is where it gets complicated. He's already pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and uh, two counts of attempted murder. He is a young offender, which means he's treated specially in a Canadian court. So it's uncertain at this point just what kind of sentence he will receive. But the bigger question is, and I've seen some reflection on this in the media, is that the Crown hasn't decided whether to continue charging him with terrorism. Now, a couple of things on that. First and foremost, he's already pleaded guilty. The trial is over. He's going to spend a long time in some kind of institution for what he did. And any other court case or dragging out the proceedings to gain convictions on other charges seems to me like a hell of a waste of taxpayers' money. Uh, First-degree murder is held... In a very, it's taken very seriously in Canada, and as a consequence, this man is not going to see the light of day anytime soon. What, therefore, is gained by continuing the trial, having taxpayer money support the Crown prosecutors, the Crown being the, the, the prosecution in Canada, to come up with some kind of a terrorist conviction? 
Secondly, and I'm, I apologize for this because it's I'm going to sound like a broken record because I've been talking about this ad nauseum for many years now. It certainly is not clear to me that incels and voluntary celibates are in fact terrorists. I'm not sure that people who commit a crime allegedly in the name of incel or in support of incels are in fact terrorists. To me, they strike me as misogynists. In other words, they're people who are hateful. And not just towards men. There are women incels as well, but it's the men that get all the attention. They are hateful towards women, largely, because they cannot form meaningful relationships with women and can't have sex. Now, in the case, in this recent case in Toronto 2020, if memory serves me correct, the uh, Crown Plaza, or the Crown Spa, as it's called, may have been a bit of a dodgy institution where, let's just say, certain sexual activities may have gone on. I'm not 100% on that one. I'm sure one of my listeners will point me in the right direction if I'm wrong. But there is a, a different part of the Canada Criminal Code that deals with hate crime. Sections 318, 319 of the Criminal Code deal with hate. And, and as I mentioned in the past, interestingly, if a judge finds that an offense has been committed, a serious offense like murder or attempted murder, and it turns out that that offense was committed because of hate towards a person's ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, skin color, whatever, the judge has the ability under Canadian law to, to bring down a more significant sentence. So if you get 10 years for offense A, and it turns out that offense A was committed for hateful reasons, you get 15 years. Those same things don't apply for terrorism under the Canadian Criminal Code, to the best of my knowledge. The bottom line here for me is that we are still calling far too many things terrorism here in Canada. And I'm not sure what we gain by that. Recall that terrorism, as an offense in the Canadian Criminal Code, only dates from December of 2001. Now, what happened in 2001? Oh, gee, 9-11. We just commemorated the 21st anniversary on Sunday. Prior to 9-11, we didn't have terrorism in the Canadian Criminal Code. We didn't need it for, I guess, a couple of reasons. First and foremost, we hadn't seen a lot of terrorism in Canada in the lead up to 9-11. My book, The Peaceable Kingdom, more on that in a bit, discusses all of what I think are the, the terrorism incidents in my country, and there's been no more than 20 in 155 years, which is pretty good. Secondly, the, uh, you know, the grand poobahs that run the country figured out that we didn't need terrorism legislation because the criminal code already had other parts to it that would serve to work, that could be applied, and maybe sufficient to deal with serious acts of violence that had political, ideological, or religious motivation, which are the three things in section 83.01 of the Canadian Criminal Code that constitute terrorism. I've argued in the past that in fact we could eliminate terrorism from the Canadian Criminal Code. Doesn't mean you stop investigating it. Certainly CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, or the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, would still investigate instances of, of individuals or groups who were planning acts of violence that would constitute terrorism under either common definitions or international, like the United Nations or whatever definitions. But when, when it comes to actually laying charges in a Canadian court, you don't have to charge them with terrorism. And in fact, there have been many cases. Alec Manassian is not the only one who was found guilty without calling him a terrorist. There was an ISIS wannabe out west around the same time that ran down people in downtown Edmonton, which is the capital of Alberta, the western province, 
And he wasn't charged with terrorism. He was charged with attempted murder. What worries me is that terrorism is becoming a political football. And that, you know, as of, you know, late 2022, for a lot of people, there's only one form of terrorism, and that is what the government euphemistically and ridiculously calls ideologically motivated violent extremism, i.e. right-wing extremism and all its variants. And that's why we're seeing more and more people talk about it, because it fits a narrative that only white guys are terrorists these days, as opposed to Islamist terrorists. And you can't use the word Islamist terrorism in Canada. That's somehow Islamophobic or whatever. So the term has outlived its usefulness. It's not a very old term in Canadian law. We did fine without it in the 1960s with the FLQ, the Front Liberation Quebec, the Quebec Liberation Front, which killed a half dozen people, set off hundreds of bombs in downtown Montreal, and led to the infamous October crisis of 1970 after they'd kidnapped a British trade representative and a Quebec minister, and they, they killed the latter. The, the, the former was rescued. They were in charge with terrorism under Canadian law. They were charged with murder. Why then is this young man who's now 20, but because his crimes were committed at the age of 17, he still can't be named, why in heaven's name will we waste time and money and effort to pursue these terrorism charges when he's already pleaded guilty? Is it revenge? Is it to make a point? Well, my simple request to the prosecution, to the Crown of Canada, is don't waste my tax dollars dragging this case out any further when you've already got a guilty plea. Anyhow, that's what I think. What do you think about terrorism as an offense, either under Canadian law or other law? Do we need it? Or can we cover it under other parts of legislation? Love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com, or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like this content want to get more, go to my website, borealisthreatenedrisk.com. You can hit the subscribe button. You get free all the podcasts and all the blogs to your inbox. You can also find a link there to my latest book, The Peaceable Kingdom, a History of Terrorism in Canada from Confederation to the Present. Talks an awful lot about terrorism over the last 155 years. You can get a copy on my website, or if you prefer, there's an e-edition on Amazon Kindle. Love to hear your feedback as well as ideas for other podcasts. We'll talk again soon. Until then, take care.